the violas are just so pretty. I love that. You know, they you can get them to where they're flowering pretty early in the spring. And so they're one of the early, super bright ones. I just, yeah. I love that. And they're the easiest ones to use. They don't, they don't have a strong flavor. So like I put them on my kids' tacos and put them on ice cream and they don't add anything to it, but it's really fun. Hello, welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. I'm your host, Lindsay Christians, food editor for the Cap Times. Today on the podcast, my guest is Scott Williams. Scott is the founder of Garden to Be, where he's been working for more than 20 years. He got into microgreens before they were a big trend in Madison, and he sells edible flowers in the most beautiful range of colors. I feel like the first time I saw an edible flower in a bag of greens from Harmony Valley, I thought for sure it wasn't edible, but of course it must be because it's in the bag of salad greens, and I found out later it was a nasturtium flower, bright orange, so beautiful. Eating flowers is a fun thing to do in the summer, and Scott is here to tell us a little bit about what they taste like, what the differences are, and how you can maybe grow some yourself. Give a listen! Welcome, Scott. Hey, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. So first of all, can you just explain really quick to people who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So uh, my farm is Garden to Be. I started it. uh, This is my 20th year, actually. So um, Happy anniversary. Hey, thanks so much. (laughs) It's been fun. And uh, it's it's been different every single year. And I've changed a lot over the years. I've, I've grown for restaurants, farmers markets, CSAs florists, uh, every, you know, imaginable kind of vegetable, you know, and flower that you can think of. Um, but over time, I, I, I really narrowed in and just focused in on selling primarily to professional kitchens, restaurants, that sort of thing around Madison. And explain uh, really quick where that where your farm is. About 25 miles from the capital, southwest Dane County. So um, between Mount Horeb and New Glarus. Primrose Township. And you have some greenhouses, but you also have fields. Correct, yeah. Um, and you had, I feel like you were, you owned some and you were renting some, is that right? Correct, yeah. My neighbor has uh, uh, some land available for renting, and um, I started renting that like in the third year, maybe, so 2002, something like that. How has it been with the rain in the beginning of this year? Really wet. Really. <laughs> and, and not just this year, you know, since last year. I mean, it started in August, and because it rained so much, we went into winter flooded, and it didn't, it didn't go away over winter. And so right away this year, every little bit of rain was, was back to flood situation. My farm is a little bit low. It's not, not, sp- not really low, but a little bit. It's got great soil, um, but it holds a lot of water. So that that was a challenge in the spring for sure. And now we're finally hitting a little bit of a dry period now. That's great. Yeah, it is. Um, I remember you talking about planting radishes, and then the rain came and, like, washed them all into, like, a big section. And so you were like, well, this is where we might have a bunch of radishes coming up that I did not intend to have here, but that's where they might be growing because right. that's where the rain moved them. That's 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 what we've seen, you know, in the last few years is that rain events are no, not just like steady half-inch rains over a few hours. You know, we're getting pretty significant amount of rainfall in shorter periods of time, which even in 
well-drained soils or even flatland, you, that water has to move along the surface. It can't get absorbed that quickly. So there have been times with washout like that and even established plants. I mean, um, two years ago, uh, it was a pretty bad flood situation as well. So, I mean, you just, it, it's tricky now. You have a couple of greenhouses yeah. on your property, and Garden to Be, I know, has become known for microgreens right. um, and also for edible flowers. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit today about some of the edible flowers that you grow. Yeah, great. Um, can you give me a little bit of an overview of some of the of the flowers that you cultivate at Garden to Be? Sure, sure. And most of those are in, in the greenhouses, though um, all of them can be grown outside. Um, but I really like a few specific varieties. I love growing the violas, uh, the small ones, uh, Johnny jump ups and the, the solid color ones. I love those. They're bright, fun. They, they produce for a long period of time. They don't take up much space, so they're easy to fit in and around other plants. And I just, I love them. Are those, the, do they have multiple colors? The Some of them do. Yeah. So the Johnny jump ups violas are the real classic, like old school, you know, cottage flower. They're like two purples, two whites, and one yellow at the bottom. They all have five petals. They all have these little whiskers on the two side ones, you know, the little dark streaks through those petals. Um, but then, you know, some of the other varieties I grow, like sorbet or um, penny all season, those will have um, uh, pastel colors. Some will be all one color, a single yellow, uh, a single purple. I really like the dark ones, the purple ones, they're kind of cool on some plates. They stand out a lot, especially if you're using white plates and you have a light colored dish, uh, like the, uh, whatever the food is you've prepared. That's a fun one. It's dark. I love those. I see them on fish a lot because it's just that contrast. If you have like a white fish on a, on a light plate, the, the flower really makes it pop. Right, right. Yeah. I love that too. Um, those, the violas are fun. And even the larger ones, the pansies are really great too. And those those hold really well. They're they're a delicate flower, but they're not um, they're not overly soft. So you know when I harvest them and I put them in containers, you know they'll stay for you know five days um, refrigerated. So that's that's good. You know I'm delivering twice a week. My customers would like them to last until the next delivery at least. Um, those are really good. Uh, nasturtiums, of course, are are popular, and every year I grow those. They're they're bigger, really bright. They have uh, like a, a popping peppery flavor, al- almost like arugula. Um, whereas the violas don't have much flavor at all. They're, they're just purely like enjoyment of sight, you know, and, um, borage flowers are good. They have a little bit of like a, like re- a flavor reminiscent of cucumber. Oh yeah. Really light like that. Delicate. Those are, those are cool. And they're a, like a five petal star shaped, mostly blue, Occasionally, you'll get some pink tinging in there, and there are some varieties that are all white. Um, and borage is, is used as an herb as well. Is that right? That's right. Yep, you can eat the greens on that one, and it, it's grown as an herb and like, for Italian cuisine, that sort of thing too. But um, I grow it specifically for the flowers. The nasturtium I planted from seed for the first time this year, and they're like the big orange red like sunset colors mm-hmm. almost and what i didn't realize until fairly recently is the leaves are edible too right right and they're also peppery like a cress yeah watercress sure so you can the large leaves you know you can 
chop up into salads you can make into almost like a sort of pesto i've i've sold large leaves for that sort of thing um or let really tiny like the size of a dime they're so delicate and soft that's a nice garnish as well and you can put a flower with that oh yeah um Sweet William, Dianthus, that's another one that you grow, right? It is, yeah. Again, another one that doesn't have a lot of flavor to it. It's got a pretty big, um, like the calyx bud is pretty thick on it. So I grow that one specifically to pull the petals out and use in a like a confetti of petal mix. Oh, cool. Right, so I do that with Bachelor Buttons, Sweet William, um, Calendula, a lot of the bigger flowers that have a lot of petals and different shapes, different colors. And just make this fireworks of color and shapes like a confetti. That sounds really beautiful. That one's fun. So when you're and you doing can do that with any of the any of the flowers, really. The nasturtiums, you know, there's a way to like to pull them out. I like to try to pull them out so the petals stay whole and not get ripped. Yeah. So once you pluck and figure out a way to keep them all whole, it's really the whole thing is really pretty. When you're doing those confetti mixes, is that like you in the greenhouse pulling petals off flowers? Like, is there a way to make that faster? <laughs> I hope not. I love doing it. <laughs> oh. It's, you know, it, it is. I mean, sometimes things just take time. It's not that they're hard or, um, you know, difficult to figure out. So, you know, some, some of the things that just take time are, are worth it. I believe that. It, mm-hmm. But it's labor on your part, especially if a lot of people want it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I've been doing this a while. I, I try to figure out all those kinds of things and build into how I price things based on how, how much time, space, you know, the difficulties of each of the plants, you know, what kind of flexibility I have in it. You know, confetti is nice because I can change it from week to week, you know, throughout the summer. It's, you know, we call that one season. But if you're growing, you know that there's a lot of individual seasonality in a summer, so some flowers will be ready early, some will be ready later. So if I have a lot of flexibility in how to make that confetti, you know, it's worth something to me too. I can utilize flowers that I didn't sell as whole flowers. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I learned not long ago about marigold gems, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I, th- I feel like they have like an almost citrusy flavor. Right. And those are fascinating. But I hadn't really thought before about growing a certain variety of a flower or that this is true for microgreens, true. There, there are certain ones that maybe aren't going to produce the way that you would want uh, for like a full head of kale, but they make really great little microgreen kale or something like that. Right. And so that was interesting, too, uh, that there is maybe a, a kind of marigold that works better for like small edible flowers like garnishes versus like the kind I plant to keep stuff away from my tomatoes. Yeah, the, the gems are just like that. They wouldn't make a good flower for cut cut flower production or to, to make vases. They don't have long stems to them. They're sort of a smaller, bushier plant. The stems are actually, like the branches are a little bit brittle. Um, I try to grow them really close together so they hold each other up. Because oh. um, they're not, it's, sometimes you'll find that and, and um, uh, seed companies won't always offer these as an option because they don't fit a very specific bill for like growing a flower for your garden. But if you and microgreens are like that too. Like I'm not looking for uh, a, a perfectly shaped purple kohlrabi when I'm growing kohlrabi microgreens. I, I need something that germinates really evenly, has a very healthy stem and first cotyledon, first true leaf, and that's it. And we don't need. It doesn't matter what it does in its life after that. So that might be a 
genetics of that plant might be kept for parenting and crossbreeding for a perfectly shaped kohlrabi later that they sell. But I'm buying that for the microgreens so that, you know, it, it works better than the other ones. And gem marigolds are kind of like that. They're not great. You wouldn't try to harvest them and put them in a vase. There's so much greenery in these tiny little flowers, but boy, the flavor is incredible. The ones you're talking about, um, there's like lemon, lemon gems. So those would be the yellow ones. They're called lemon because of the color, but also because of that citrus flavor. And the other one is tangerine is the orange one. So yeah, you're right on on that. I planted borage for the first time this Mm. year and I did, I think it flowered once. Um, I think I made a, might've missed it like in the, all the rains in June, but it is not flowering anymore. And I wonder, is that like one of those examples of like a micro season within the summer? Right. So yeah, so it's tricky. The whole garden, you're, you know, the, the plants have a, um, their plan is to reproduce, right? you know, so, so some of them, um, go through a certain period, lettuces and stuff, where they're just trying to get out that one set of flowers to be done. And borage is kind of in that realm. It'll have a bunch of little flower clusters, but it's if you're not picking them all the time and totally cleaning the plant every time you harvest those flowers, it'll think, hey, we've done our job. We flowered out. We've made plenty of seed. We can stop. It's like basil. It gets out of its vegetative state. Exactly. It gets out of its... You cannot let basil flower. I'm like, okay, cut it off. Because it'll stop producing leaves. Yeah, yeah, But if you chop it back every so often, you can keep basil going a lot longer. And borage is like that. I still seed borage, you know, about three times, though, because it is hard to keep up with. And sometimes chopping it back is... it, It can be a little stressful on it. And if you get a little tough uh, period of climate where it's really hot, like right now, if I had just cut it back, it would be hard in this heat for it to like want to continue to grow. It's it's just, it's stressful right now. So. So better when it's a little bit cooler? For at the cutting back part, you know, something like that. You, you're cutting it back. So you're stopping it from going into its seed production and you want it to revert back to vegetative so that it'll think that it has to grow a bit more before it starts flowering. Right, right. Um, so, but the more you stress it out, the harder it is, and it might just either just shut down or it might send out its flowers and say, well, that's it, whatever we get is what we get. <laughs> right, right. Are are there uh, any sort of happy accidents or things that you've discovered while you're going through this process of finding out what works for a microgreen and what works for a flower? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, a lot of these, I've a lot of the ones that we've talked about so far, I've uh, I've either found in books or have been recommendations, you know, a long time ago, early on when I was just starting to sell the restaurants, talking with Odessa Piper, you know, and some of the other farmers, you know, Harold and Carla Cruz at Hickory Hill, when they were doing it, they used to grow a lot of edible flowers. I get a lot of recommendations from them and, and requests from other chefs. So I, I figured some things out that way or, um, but what's the edible flower book? Uh, Rosalind uh, Creasy. She has a great book on a lot of different flowers, um, but sometimes you'll you realize um, that the things you're growing for the vegetable, it turns out they're those flowers are edible too. And so I have noticed, uh, well, in the greenhouse, 
we're seeding microgreens. And I'm, I'm the person in those seed catalogs when you see things available in the 5, 10, 25-pound units. Right, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm buying 20 pounds of <laughs> kale seed, you know, at a, at a time. So <clears throat> so we're dealing with big handfuls of them, and uh, there have been occasions where we've spilled. <laughs> so those... So those those will be areas where like something like uh, a mustard green or a kale might might start germinating under the benches, places where I'm not growing. But um, and we weed them out. But occasionally they'll they'll go through these stress periods where they'll flower out really fast, really small, really early. And I realized, oh my gosh, you know this this radish flower is is pink and beautiful. And I'm even in just growing microgreens, I realized different parts of the plant are edible at different times, and I'd never considered. When I first started farming, it, people were buying lots of greens. I, I was a greens farmer. I was growing kales and collard greens, mustards, head lettuces. And it was about that time that that whole mescaline click, kick, excuse me, mescaline really kicked in. Everybody wanted baby salad mix, you know, baby greens. Oh, mixed I remember in. that. Right. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to start doing that. And I started growing baby fennel and baby beets. Everybody wanted baby stuff, you know? And that's when I started doing microgreens. It was about 2002, 2003. And so, you know, that got me thinking that, you know, you need to pay attention. There are times when those flowers are edible too. So oh, arugula flowers, mustard flowers. If it's a plant that's, that's past its prime, you know, sometimes instead of just pulling it and weeding it, the flowers are really, really beautiful, really fun to use. I particularly like the arugula one. It doesn't make a good one for sale, though, because it would be hard to get it consistently. So seeding arugula every three days in order to try to get it to flower consistently throughout the summer to be able to harvest these really delicate, those are delicate flowers that wilt pretty fast. But in the greenhouse for nibbling on or, or grabbing some for dinner is really, yeah, that's the way to do it. What do they look like? The arugula flowers have um, have four petals. They're not they're separated a little bit. They're long strap, maybe a quarter to a half inch long. They're white with brown veins that streak through it. They're Ooh. just like so elegant. Yeah. Do they taste like arugula? A the, little bit. The they do. Okay. It's a delicate flavor, but it is, it's distinct. It's right there. And just like the radish ones, the radish flowers that are pink will have a little bit of a radish flavor, not nearly the bite that right into a radish will have. But My farm just gave us some beautiful purple daikon, which mm. I did not know... Uh, we could get, but they were gorgeous. Um, but I got really earlier in the season this year, I was putting chive flowers on everything because I can't, the chives in my backyard are unkillable. Right. And so, and they, they come up beautifully every year. And so does the sorrel. The sorrel is like yeah. doing great. Um, but those, those are things where like, if I get to them early, I can I can have these beautiful like chive. It doesn't hurt the chives. They don't seem to mind. Um, That's one, they're going to flower at a certain time in the spring that they're day length sensitive. They go to a certain point, but after that point, you just cut it all back and it'll regrow and you get chives the rest of the year. They won't flower again, but that, right. So those taking those flowers off is, it doesn't hurt it. In fact, it probably makes it easier to just keep getting chives for longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if you've seen any uptick in the number of people who are asking you for edible flowers. Do you think that this is, this is a trend in Madison? Do you think that it sort of comes and goes? I wonder. I mean, I some years it seems like I'm selling more than others, but I I, I think um, I, I've usually attributed it to me being able to have them more consistently um, and figuring out like how to make sure that I've always got some on my list. 
Like I grow some of, some of these flowers do pretty well in the winter time. So I I've got these greenhouses that I do heat in the winter time, especially for the microgreens and some of the herbs that I'm growing. I, I grow a few um, kind of tender perennials that that don't survive outside rosemary, that sort of thing. Oh yeah. So you got to keep the heat going. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so some of the flowers I try to keep going too. If you get them started, like right now we're just starting violas and pansies that I expect to be beginning to flower in September, October. And so they'll go right into winter at full, you know, full peak. Um, and so I think having flowers on a more regular basis, I've seen chefs using them more frequently just because I think they're always there. Um, I always think that it's a, it's for me, it's an easy, it's an easy decision to make. Like you can always just change the way something looks so quickly with such a little effort, you know, it's just your color. How many things could be rather bland color wise. And you just instantly make it totally different with a tiny bit of color. Yeah, you add that pop of color. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine there are some chefs who would want something that is visually appealing but doesn't add or change the flavor of the dish. Right, right. Because maybe they've already balanced that out and they don't necessarily want to add pepper or citrus or whatever it is. No, exactly. Um, that makes sense, too. Uh, if you are a home gardener and you want to put in some edible flowers, is it too late to do it now? Or could people still plant edible flowers? How long does it take? So... Yeah, so like the violas, um, pansies, that flower, they're, you know, about three months from seed. So we're getting towards the end now where you'd even see any. And people don't do them from like starts, right? Uh, you can you can get those. Um, you can get those at market. There'll be people who sell some starts. Um, but in the spring, I don't know anybody who would be doing very much much of that right now. Let me see what else. Nasturtiums are pretty, they're a little quicker, maybe maybe two months. We're, we're about at the end of the, of the time when you could be seeding something outside. Like the ones I'm seeding now would be for planting in the, you know, in the hoops and productive, like beginning, middle of fall and into winter. If your animals in your house are well behaved, could you grow them inside? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, particularly the smaller ones. Like, um, I wouldn't do it with borage or bachelor buttons. Uh, they're pretty tall and lanky, and would want light, so they'd get even more stretchy in the, you know, the low light winter days. Mm-hmm. But um, violas would be great. Gem marigolds are, are a possibility. They don't produce quite as much. <clears throat> those are ones that I don't get all the way through the winter. Nasturtiums, not the trailing type, but the the bush types. So I think. I think Alaska um, and Jewel are two of the varieties that that would be great for indoor, and I've got, I've kept those going in the winter for sure, and they continue to flower. Nice. Do you find that sometimes people look at a flower on their plate and assume that it's garnished and don't eat it? I wonder. You know, I'm sure everybody has like it. Yeah, there's there's so many different mentalities when you approach eating out, right? So, right. I bet that's true. I mean, there are people who don't eat the garnish. Sometimes the garnish is there specifically to add that flavor, right? Um, and I, yeah, I imagine there are still people who are like, "Oh, I'm not going to do it." One of the <laughs> one of the early people I worked with uh, was Tal Jude. He um, he was the chef at um, the 
was it the Clay Street Market that moved from Cambridge to Madison? But it was only open for like a year or two in 99, 2000, something like that. And then he helped open Johnny Delmonico's. He was like the first chef there when they opened that place, the steakhouse. And he bought a lot of edible flowers early on. He's like, I work at a steakhouse. I, my whole kitchen is men. I need something that is not just like masculine, you know? Like, and I think maybe I wonder if like, you know, in his dining room, he thought that too. Like, you know, I wonder if there are people who aren't going to eat it because it's there, but I'm going to do it anyways. There needs to be something lighter, something brighter, something that's not so, I don't know. He had a, he had a good way of like yin yang describing, you know, what his plates were like and flowers were an important part of how he did those dishes. Well, it's a little bit of beauty and delicacy on the plate, uh, especially if that plate has a large piece of beef on it and some potatoes. Like, right. it's kind of nice to set that off. Do you know, are the orchids that are, is, is it an orchid that's on a sushi plate? Are those edible? Yeah, the, yep, they are. I'm, I'm always a little skeptical of that, though, because there's, I imagine there's a lot of chemicals used yeah. in it, especially, I don't know anybody that's doing it locally. And that always concerns me. Like, I wouldn't recommend just eating flowers that you find along the street, you know, because you don't <laughs> know what people are doing in their yards, you know. I don't know. I, I worry about that. But um, uh, so they are, t- you know, orchids are an edible flower. They're, actually, there's a lot of flowers that are edible. Um, uh, hibiscus and... Um, oh, hibiscus. Um you what see that th- in tea. Right, right. Um, uh, oh, what am I thinking of? Um, snapdragons are edible. So oh, like, wow. So technically edible, but like, oh, there's, <laughs> there's like super bitter, you know, that, that they'd have to be something really, somebody with uh, uh, more knowledge than I would have to figure out a good way to use those. But For sure. Uh, I, it's, it makes me think about when chefs are infusing Ooh. like liqueur or, you know, other things um, to give things color. And hibiscus, obviously, does, I mean, it makes it like this magenta right. pink. Um, but, you know, adding that, adding, having something add color and then how you how you work with the flavors that it also brings or not, uh, right? Uh, yeah. I think it's an interesting thing to look at. Um are there favorites of the edible flowers that you grow or the things that you're particularly fond of that you're like, oh, boy, the bachelor buttons are up? Yeah, I mean, I, I get really excited about the simple – the violas are just so pretty. Mm. I love that. You know, they I start them real early so that, you know, by the time – I try to keep them going year-round, but, you know, if they don't make it through the winter, I, you can get them to where they're flowering pretty early in the spring. And so they're one of the early super bright ones. I just yeah. – I love that. And they're the easiest ones to use. They don't – they don't have a strong flavor, so like I put them on my kids' tacos, and you know what I mean. Like, or you put them on ice cream, and they don't add anything to it, but it's really fun. Um, I love those, and gosh, I mean, everybody loves the confetti. Confetti is just, oh yeah, I like making it. It's it's great. I mean, I'll often the way I'll do it is I'll often pick a lot of the flowers um, and bring them inside, you know, in trays, and then I'm in the shade, you know, I can listen to music and and do it in there because it's. They are really delicate. You want to worry about them wilting. It's hard to do that out in the sun for the quantities that I'm doing, but um, I I like that one a lot. I want to give you an opportunity to give a shout-out to some of the restaurants where you sell edible flowers if you want to do that, or just places where people can find them. Like, where can people find some of these flowers that you're growing? Right. Um, Oh, my gosh. 
Is there a way to do like a link to my? Yeah, page? of course. So like, go to Garden to Be. You know, find the find the Facebook page. I'll 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 go home and tonight, um, you know, before this comes out or whatever, I'll I'll make sure to put up a list. I, my delivery days are like between thirty five and forty five stops in wow. a day regularly. So there's a there's a lot of great restaurants locally that are buying not just for me. They're shopping at the farmers market. They're buying from other you know local producers. They're buying their meat locally. And it's awesome. I, I, you know, I, it. There's just so many. Yeah. Well, so people can. You're gonna have. We'll have a link to your website. People can find um, where where the flowers are that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, are you at any farmers markets anymore? Uh, well, I am still a member of the Dane County Farmers Market. Okay. I, I joined that in 2001, and um, I don't go very often to the Saturday outdoor market. I go in the spring. But right now, I I just focus on you know my kids on the weekend and work and delivering straight to restaurants. Um, but I will be back indoors. So November, December, January, all the way through to April when we do the indoor market, um, I'll be at those. And I I do a um, it's more of a private market, but I do a, a farmers market at Epic uh, for Epic employees on Tuesdays. Um, that's really fun. It's great there. Well, thank you so much for coming in. This is this thank is such you, a Lindsay. fun topic. I had a blast. Thank you. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Our music was composed by Patrick Christians. We get podcasting help from Eric Lawrenson. You can follow us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We'll be posting a bit intermittently this summer before starting back up with regular podcasts in the fall. If you like The Corner Table, check out the Cap Times' other podcasts. On Wedge Issues, Cap Times' opinion editor Jesse O'Poyan dives into state government, from policy ideas to lawmakers' favorite beer. That's every Friday at 10. Then follow along with Abby, Eric, and Lisa as they explore the ins and outs of city politics and policy on the Mad Splainers podcast. Every other week, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Lindsay Christians, food editor for the Capital Times. My wish for you this week is an Aperol Spritz. Cheers. Cheers.